0: I'd like to welcome all of you who are joining us by video at our other campus for our Wednesday night Bible study. We are in the book of Genesis almost to the end. And uh, as is our custom, we take a book of the Bible, we go through it verse by verse and really get a good look at the word and, and keep it all in context. We are in chapter 44 of the book of Genesis. We've been reading the story of Joseph. The Bible goes into a great deal of detail Uh, about joseph again genesis is about the beginnings that's what it's all about where did we come from how did we get to where we are uh, today and it starts in very general terms you know about the creation and this and the flood and some of the major things tower of babel all these kind of things but then it starts getting real specific when it gets to abraham because abraham is a major player here so we talk about abraham we talk about isaac we talk about jacob whose name becomes israel he has 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel that we know of today. And um, and then uh, when it gets to Joseph, now we get into great detail. And the reason for this is to show how they wound up in Egypt. Because the next book, and I think we're going to go ahead and jump into the next book as soon as we get into this, just to keep it all in context. We won't do the whole thing because uh, a lot of the book of uh, uh, Exodus toward the end is about the uh the the levitical law and uh, we start reading that some of you will have visions of taking your own lives because it's extraordinarily you know detailed and tedious and it's not of great import to us today because we don't live by the law of moses but there's some things we'll we'll pick out of that and, and show you um but uh, so, you know, here comes Moses and all this stuff. And then I, the whole thing is everybody gets that. That's more contemporary, if you want to say that, That's still thousands of years ago. Contemporary history of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And what Genesis is about is how they got there in the first place. Who are these people? Who Who is the nation of Israel? What is all this about? That's why we go into all this detail about Joseph. Now, Joseph has been sold uh, into slavery by his uh, older brothers, um, uh because they didn't like him best as i can tell he kind of came off as a jerk (laughs) to his brothers and kind of stick it in their faces and uh you know and dad really likes me and he had the fancy coat and then he started having dreams but i got these great great dreams man someday you guys are all going to bow down before me you know not a great way to win friends and influence people especially your brothers and brothers are kind of born for adversity i know i got a few and uh you know, that, that's pretty normal. Anyway, but he, he got so obnoxious and they, they tried to kill him and then at the last minute decided to sell him into save, slavery. Boom, he eventually winds up in Egypt and we talked about this incredible story of how in a day he goes from a dungeon to being the second most powerful man in the world. And we talked about, man, when God turns your circumstances around, he can do it like that. Now, sometimes it takes time and we don't like that. A lot of times people get frustrated and they give up on their faith. And why is it taking so long and blah, 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 blah. And we knew that for Joseph it was a good uh, 13 years before his circumstances changed. I mean, his life went from being blessed and favored by his dad to what arguably anybody would consider the seventh ring of hell, whatever that means. But I mean, he just, we went down. He was in a bad place for a long time. And just when you think, man, I'll never get out of here in a day. A dungeon to a king. Uh, it's an amazing story of how God can move and turn your life around. And I encourage a, a lot of people, you know, don't don't think that your life gets so complicated God can't fix it. Because that's what Satan wants you to think. You know, gee, if I hadn't made this dumb mistake and if I hadn't married that idiot and if I hadn't done this and, you know, la, 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 and my kids weren't even possessed and if I had to have those too many credit card bills, my life's too, confu- too confused. It's too complicated, it's too messed up, I've gone too far, I've made too many bad mistakes, it's over for me. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. Because then you lose hope. And then you get into a state of hopelessness. And where there's no hope, there's no faith, and God can't move in your life. I don't care what your circumstances are. I want you to know something. There is no puzzle too complicated that God cannot solve it. Like that. And, And no matter how crazy your life gets, God can turn it around and just when there seemed to be no hope for joseph god turns it around says okay enough boom and he absolutely changes this man's life so anyway so now his brothers come looking for um, food because the only place in the country that has in the world that has food at this point is egypt and uh, god had shown joseph uh, the meaning of this famine that was going to come and to prepare for it that's how he got into this position and his brothers come before him, and uh, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. I'm sure he looks totally different. First of all, he was 17 the last time they saw him. He's now 30, and, and I'm sure looked very Egyptian, you know. Walk like an Egyptian. So, so he looked totally different than anything that they had before. And uh, I don't know if they sang that song or not. But anyway, so they came, and they don't recognize him at all. And they bow down before him. And they, they come down, and immediately... The Bible says Joseph remembers the dream. Wow. This is it. This is what I was thinking about before. This is what God showed me. Here they are. Well, then anyway, he starts messing with their heads. And, uh, um, you know, gives them the their food, but sticks the money back in there and scares them all to death. And they don't know if... He, yeah, we don't want to go back there because they'll find out that we took the money. We didn't really mean to take the money and... But anyway, they got desperate, and they had to go back into Egypt, and they came back and showed him the money and all this kind of stuff. So now we're at chapter 44, and he starts messing with their heads again, and uh, he's really tormenting these guys. I'm not really quite sure. He said, well, he's angry and bitter at him." No, he wasn't. He was thrilled to see him, to see them. He wept. He would have to leave, and he'd go, and he'd cry because he was so happy to see these guys. But being a brother, he thought, well, let me torture them for a while, and uh so he's decided to torture them, and now they're back, and now he's going to torture them some more. This time, now, he made him bring back Benjamin, the, the youngest son, which was his direct brother. Remember, uh, Jacob, Israel, had two wives and two sort of wives, concubines, and they all got into baby wars there. And he's, you know, being pimped out to these women. They're having all these kids and stuff like that. And the only real brother, full brother, that uh, Joseph had was Benjamin. Uh, that was Rebecca, and she died giving birth to Benjamin. and So he had a special affinity for him. So he put the pressure on these guys to bring Benjamin back the next time. So they bring back Benjamin. Dad's freaking out. You've got to bring him back because I'll die if you take him away from me. And uh, So anyway, so now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. That's what he did last time. So he's messing with them again. Put all their money back in there. Uh, and then, the grand deal here, then put my cup, the silver one, uh, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. So he sets up, intentionally sets up Benjamin to get in serious trouble. Because this, you know they had these, these uh, uh, emblems of uh, great significance. The silver cup was something that, was, that he drank from. It was a sign of, of power, uh, it was also something the Egyptians used uh, for divination. Uh, they were into uh, what we would consider today witchcraft and, and, and stuff like that. They didn't really use those terms, but they were, you know, kind of like what, what people are into tarot cards and all this kind of stuff, and Ouija boards and all that thing, and, and part of. Uh, their divination, divination, divining processes. They, they had, they'd have this special cup, and a guy could use that to, you know, dial in the super spooks. Ooh. Now, I don't think he did that. He was a man of faith, and he knew God and knew better than to do that. But that, that's what they knew traditionally that was used for, but it was certainly a sign of power. So he says, Take this special cup, put it in Benjamin's sack. and uh, And so he's messing with these guys again. So as. Uh, he did as Joseph said and as morning dawned the men were sent on their way with their donkeys they hadn't gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward hey go after those guys at once and when you catch up with them say to them why have you repaid good with evil isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination this is a wicked thing you have done so he says go get them my pretty and your little dog too so this they're all going after these guys Confusing my stories. But uh, when he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. Saying, what did you do? One of you, you guys took the, the, the silver cup. You don't take the silver. You don't even touch the silver cup. You don't steal it. And uh, and, and these guys said, so what, what are you talking about? Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks the last time. Why would we do this to you again? Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? And then he makes this bold proclamation. He says, if any of your servants, meaning us, if any of us is found to have this silver cup, he will die. And the rest of us will become your slaves. Well, I really ought to not talk so quickly because we're about to get in big trouble here. Well, very well, then the steward said, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. Uh, the rest of you will be free from blame. Well, each of them quickly lowered the sack, the sack to the ground and opened it. And when the steward proceeded to search it, beginning with the oldest and ending up with the youngest, because they were, remember, he knew they were setting up Benjamin. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Why would they tear their clothes? It was just the custom. It's still to this day in Eastern culture. You will see uh, pictures of people from the Middle East when they're mourning or they're distraught or something, and they will take and they will rip their garments. This is, you know, we don't do that here. You know, you don't go to a funeral and everybody's ripping their clothes apart, you know. But over there, you know, it's, ah! They rip and they tear and they moan and they groan and and this is culture, okay? It's fine. It's it's what they do. So when they see this, obviously they become distraught. Ah! And they start ripping their clothes, okay? And then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. They are freaking out. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves on the ground before him. And Joseph said, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? In other words, uh, you know, you can't fool me. I can figure these things out. I'm in tune with the spirit world. All right. Because the Egyptians were into this. Now, he wasn't doing this. But this was certainly the tradition of the Egyptians. How do you think you can get away with stuff? I can, you know, just tune in. I can see stuff. I knew it was you guys. And, of course, then they freak. And they said, well, what can we say? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. So they, they literally, you have to understand, this, this is no small deal. These guys, you get sold into slavery, you are a slave. This is, this is not just, you know, a timeout here. All right, not a mere, it can be, this isn't a fine, a penalty or a few years in jail. This is a life of slavery now that they knew they were all going to be subjected to for the rest of their lives and these guys are distraught they just are confused how is this happening I'm sure they were chewing out Benjamin saying you knew it why'd you take the cup for it? I, didn't take it. You it I didn't take it you know brothers well then Joseph said no 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 far be it for me to do such a thing I'm not going to make you all slaves only the man who was found to have this cup will become my slave the uh, rest of you go back to your fathers in peace Well, then Judah went up to him and said, please, can I have a word with you? Because now they're freaking. On the one hand, they're thinking, thank God we got out of this. But now they're freaking. Remember what dad said, don't you come back without Benjamin. I will surely die. And and Judah said, well, if I don't come back, you can kill my two kids. His grandkids. I mean, just be very bizarre culture here. And the other one said, well, you know, if we don't come back, we'll do this, that, and the other. And uh, So now they're freaking. Now they get to go back, but now Benjamin has to say, and they know they cannot go back with Benjamin. So, stay with me as I read all this. They're going to retell him everything they told him in the first place. Okay? So we get to live it again. Don't be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, in other words, do you remember when you said... Do you have a father or a brother? And we said, yeah, we have an aged father and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, meaning Joseph, obviously. And he's the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. But then you said, uh, bring him down to me so I can see him. And we said, well, the boy cannot leave his father if his father if he leaves him, his father will die. But then you said, unless your youngest, youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see his face. Again. And we went back to our father and told him what you said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said... We cannot go down if only our youngest brother goes with us, unless we go back with the youngest guy, and we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your father, my servant. Then he said, You know that my wife bore me two sons. Talking about Rachel, that was his favorite wife of the four. Uh, One of them went away from me. And I said, He has surely been torn to pieces. See, they thought Joseph was dead. That's what they told dad. They didn't tell him that he'd sold him off as a slave. And I haven't seen him since. But if you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So they rehearse all of who said, you said, they said, he said, and then he said, and I said, and we said, and this is. So now, he says, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up in this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. My dad will die if we don't bring him back. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. I personally guaranteed. Please, Do not do this. The desperation in his voice to Joseph was so intense. And he says, now then, please let me. That's when your servant, that's that's how they talked. Please let me remain here as my Lord's slave. I'll do it. I will stay. I will pay the price for my brother. Now check it out. What a difference, huh? These are the guys who freely got rid of the brother 13 years ago. And now he's stepping up saying, I will personally pay the punishment for Benjamin in place of the boy. Please let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if that boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Well, then Joseph, chapter 45, verse 1 could no longer control himself before all his attendants and he cried out everybody out of here right away everybody leave my presence so all the Egyptian attendants everybody cleared the room and he's there with his brothers so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it he threw everybody out and then he just collapsed in tears and wailing and everybody could hear him crying and I'm sure his brothers are thinking what is going on? you are freaking me out man! and Joseph finally says to his brothers I am Joseph it's my father still living But his brothers were not able to answer them because they were terrified at his presence. This is freaking them out. What are you talking about? First of all, you just cried like a little girl for 20 minutes. You're just threatening to have us all made into slaves and you're going to take Benjamin and you're really messing with me. And Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. (laughs) I didn't go close to him. This guy is a psycho case. But they went closer to him and he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Oh, holy stinking cow, how do you get there? How do you get there? Here is a man now, Joseph, who understood something that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament. A very simple truth that says this. All things turn for good to those who are called into God's hands. There is nothing going to happen to you that God cannot turn to good. God is not deterred by some idiot's behavior towards you. God's plan is not deterred just because maybe you didn't know exactly when to take a step to the left or to the right. God, God can take anything and turn it around to fulfill his purpose in your life. Joseph got that. We don't seem to get that. Somebody hurts us. Somebody happens us. Somebody fires us. Something tells on us. Something happens and we're convinced God has forsaken us. It's over! It's over! (laughs) There's no sense in going on. I lost my job at McDonald's. (sighs) I hate Burger King. What am I going to do? Even in the worst of the circumstances, even when he had every right to hate these guys, Man, some of you sitting here right now, I'll bet you anything, you are so mad and so angry and so unforgiving at someone just because they said something to you. Yeah, well, he said I was fat. She said I was an idiot. That guy called me something out of there. I'll never forgive him for that. Here is a guy who his stinking lousy brothers sell him off into hell for 13 of unimaginable miserable years and he says don't worry about it don't beat yourselves up about it man God has taken what you meant for evil and turned it into good because I know that in God's hands all things work for good in my life even evil now did God mean for evil to come to him he did not When evil comes to you, when bad things come to you, that's not God's plan. But make no mistake, this is not a hiccup that is going to deter God in your life. Here's a guy who has every reason to hate and does not hate these guys. He knew that God had turned all this around for his good. The reality was, Joseph Figured did the math in his head. If these jerks had not sold me off into hell, I would not be the second most powerful man in the world today. Wow. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, he tells his brother. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but ultimately it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, (laughs) <laughs> this guy's position—he's 30 years old. Well, by now he's what, 37, uh, 8, 9? Considers himself father to Pharaoh at this point—the most powerful man in the world. Why? Because he's he's lifted him up to the, this incredible position. I'm lord over his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to Dad and tell him. This is what your son Joseph says. God made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who I'm speaking to you. Tell my father all about the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And man, this guy did a lot of crying. And Benjamin embraced him. And he was weeping. And everybody's crying. And he kissed all his brothers and slobbered all over them. And I really got uncomfortable by this time. Stop with the crying! Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And when the news reached the Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals, return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, Do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and for your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about all your belongings because we got the best stuff here. Don't need that cheap stuff. We're going to give you first class stuff when you get here. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and they gave them the provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes because it was his brother and he favored him. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things in Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving, he said to them, Now don't fight! Y'all get along with each other! Why would he say that? Because they're brothers. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told told him, Now stop and think, Now how are you going to explain this? How are you gonna explain this? Lucy, explain yourself. Anybody remember that? I love Lucy. I'm like in the old movies and TV tonight. I don't know what to deal with. They told they told him they had to explain himself that Joseph was not dead. Because that's what they led Father to believe for these many low these many years. And they had to tell him Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. Do you think? And he did not believe them. If it were me, I'd have strangled a lot of them. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, Joseph had sent to carry him back. The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel said, who's Israel? That's Jacob. They use the name interchangeably. Israel says, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God now speaks to Israel in a vision at night and says to him, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God. I'm God, the God of your father, he said, "Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. What does that mean? When you die, your son Joseph will be the one to close your eyes, which is what he longed for so much, being separated from his father. Now, I want you to think a little bit here, because we're still what in the world <laughs> like." bug juice or something on my glasses. But uh, stop and think about now. This whole story of how all this difficulty came before all these blessings. Now stop and think. God is doing all this and he's bringing them to Egypt under great favor. Do you think God knew what was waiting for them when they got there? Do you think? Do you think God wasn't like, oh, I didn't know that would happen? Well, what's going to happen? They're going to wind up in slavery for four years. Hundred years. 400 years. Ouch! Now consider the United States of America has been around for half that. Double the existence of our nation. That's how long they wound up as slaves. And who brought them there? God brought them there. Honestly, people, you've got to understand something. Suffering, difficulty in life, is not a sign that God has forsaken you. You have to get that. Because if you don't, when difficulty comes, and it pretty much will, you know, you stick around long enough, something ain't going to go right. If you consider difficulty in your life as a sign that God has abandoned you, you will become very discouraged. If you think difficulty with children, your teenagers, is a sign that somehow God has abandoned you, you will become very discouraged in life. Because anyone with teenagers knows that's pretty much what happens. They turn 13 and become demon-possessed or something. I don't know what happens to them. And you struggle, and life is full of struggles, and there's struggles dealing with them. If you think your marriage has difficulty and because it has difficulty something is wrong you will struggle in life you will have difficulty if you get married in fact the Bible promises it we don't read those verses at weddings but we promise it promises that (laughs) we should we should read those verses at weddings (laughs) do you know what you're doing (laughs) But if you you view struggles and difficulties as somehow that you've, it's it's over, that it's it's too much, that you've been abandoned, I'm telling you, the devil will kick the snot out of you. He will just use you as a soccer ball and knock you all over kingdom come. Why? Because he knows the more trouble he gives, the more discouraged you will get and you will think God has left you. And I am convinced the people who think of that way are the ones most likely targeted by Satan. There are some people that just always, life just beats the snot out of them all the time. I like, think, why is this happening to me all the time? Because you have a great big sign on front of you to the devil, kick me. Because if you kick me hard enough, I'll give up. If you kick me hard enough, I'll fail. If you kick me hard enough, I'll throw my arms up and stop. And he knows you. And he sees your thoughts. And he comes after you. The people who seem to be the least kicked around in life, although we all get it, are the ones who have a sign, Kick me! It won't matter! It won't matter! Why? Because I have learned the secret Paul said. Paul said this. I have learned the secret. What's the secret? Because he's about to quote this verse. The verse that we all love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We all like that verse, right? All the preachers on TV are quote, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you know what he's talking about? He's talking about, I don't care if my life is blessed or if it stinks. I don't care if I got money or if I'm broke. I don't care if I'm free or if I'm in jail. I have learned the secret, hallelujah, that I can be content in all circumstances. My joy doesn't come from what happens around me. My joy comes from inside here. And as a result, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Kick me, I don't care. All right, that was free. Back to, back to the story. Where am I? Uh, okay, so, so God tells him, look, I'm bringing you to Egypt. Guys, we're bringing you to Egypt, bringing you to Egypt. Of course, they don't know. Israel, I mean, they for 400 years of slaves. He didn't let them in on that little detail. But I'm bringing you to Egypt. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's son took... <laughs> Jacob, Israel, I'm mean, back and forth, it's the same guy. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob... And their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all of his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters. All his offspring. And then they go and they name all the offspring. And we're not going to read that. All right. Let's jump to verse uh, 26. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons with the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, or whatever it was, I think that was it, Uh, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen, because he told him to go to Goshen, go down there, get directions so we know where to go, they didn't have GPS's and that sort of thing. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. He had a tender heart. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die. <laughs> Very odd culture. I'm so glad to see you. I think I'll die now. <laughs> but... Now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said uh, to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. I'm going to tell them, you're shepherds. Okay, listen to me, boys. Listen up, listen up. I'm telling them that you're shepherds and that you tend livestock. And they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. And when Pharaoh calls you in and says, what is your occupation? Tell them, we're a bunch. Of shepherds! Your servants have tended livestock from from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. And then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Tell them you're something everybody hates. (laughs) Again, very odd. Why are they doing this? Well, two things. First of all, uh, the land of Goshen was a nice place to stay. So if you say your shepherds are going to end up there, secondly, this idea of they're kind of detestable. They're just, you know they're shepherds. Nobody likes the shepherds. And uh, and it just made them more separate. They were always conscious of wanting to be separate from other peoples. They didn't want to get integrated into Egyptian culture uh, with Egyptian wives, which actually Joseph was. He had an Egyptian wife and uh, actually she was uh, the daughter of a, one of the priests or priestesses or whatever and stuff like that but they, they wanted to keep their culture intact so you're all shepherds they'll all think you stink and they'll put you over the side and we'll all be good all right so chapter 47 we're cruising right along tonight Joseph went and told Pharaoh my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen and he chose five of his brothers And presented them before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Uh, We're uh, shepherds. And they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. And they also said to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan. And your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Well, Pharaoh said to uh, Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. And the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any of them, by the way, with special ability, put them in charge of all of my livestock, would you? And uh, Joseph brought his father Jacob in, presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are one hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled uh, his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, uh, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. So now they finally make it to Egypt. They start out fabulously being very protected by Joseph and uh, everything's going great for them. Uh, So now we're going to read here uh, a little bit more of what happens uh, up until the time that Jacob, the dad, dies. Joseph is still in charge of everything. He's running this gigantic food program. So we see in verse 13, there was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. And Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying. So he was so smart, he stored up all this food. And then these guys came and paid them money to get the food. I mean, the wealth that they were collecting was off the charts. I'm sure it's one of the reasons pharaoh really liked joseph because they were a drunker and a, uh, richer than a bunch of drunken monkeys i mean these guys were just everything was great they had everything they needed all the money was coming into their hands and uh so they were buying all this and brought it into the pharaoh's palace now verse 15 when the money of the people of egypt and canaan was gone then they all came to joseph and said well give us food why should we die before your eyes our money is used up they had nothing left well then joseph said well then bring me your livestock it's like a gigantic game of Monopoly here and he's he's collecting everything so I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone so they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses their sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys and he brought them uh, through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock when that year was over they came to him the following year remember this thing lasted for seven years and uh, they came to them and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well, by us and our land in exchange for food? And we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Pharaoh now controlled all the money, all the livestock, and all the people, as far as you could see, became his slaves and were indentured servants to him. And, uh, and then he provided them with seeds so they could go out and plant, but then they paid this big tax back to him because he owned everybody and everything. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one land of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough food for the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here's seed for you so you can go plant the ground. And, but when the crop comes up, uh, comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. A fifth. You know how many, what percentage that is? 20%. He now owns 20% of everything that they produce. Uh, the other four-fifths, you can keep as seed for your fields and food for yourselves and your household and your children. They said, man, you've, you've saved our lives. I mean, this was desperate. They were all going to die. This famine was unreal. But you talk about a shift in transfer of wealth. All came into the control of the Pharaoh. He became unimaginably wealthy and, in, and powerful like you cannot imagine. He said, may we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt still in force today. Now this was written five, 6,000 years ago, whatever the deal is. So it's not today, today. But uh, back at the time this was written, it was still in force that, uh, uh, that a fifth of the produce, produce belongs to Pharaoh because you know, he established this huge kingdom, winds up owning and controlling everything, everything that was born He got 20, or, or uh, grown. Immediately he got a 20% tax on the whole deal. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh. So now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. So he lived there 17 more years. And the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. We've seen this before. Remember, that's that's their thing where they would put their hand under the guy's thigh promise now that's that's a little too familiar for me you know we would you know promise write something cross my heart I promise you know we don't grab people's thighs and uh and make promises but that's what they did and uh so uh, he was making him promise don't bury me here swear to me you will not bury me here but when I rest with my fathers carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. He wanted to be buried where Abraham and Isaac were buried. And Joseph said, I will do as you say. And he says, swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Well, sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, I was right, along with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. He was glad to hear he was there. And Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and there blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will, will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours in the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan to, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. That's how old the city of Bethlehem goes back. Long time. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, uh, well, who are these? He said, these are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed the boys, hugged the boys. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. So Joseph removed them them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Uh, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd in all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. But well, when Joseph saw that his father was placing his right hand on Ephraim's head and he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's hand to Manasseh's head now this is very significant the right hand went to the oldest son remember they were just into this whoever came first da 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 da. but for some reason Jacob comes and he switches hands and and Joseph goes and he tries to pull his hands the other way Uh, but Joseph said to him uh, Joseph said to him no my father this is the firstborn put your right hand on his head but his father refused we don't know why But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he. And his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And he blessed them that way. And it's just some prophetic thing that God, you know, right away he knew to switch hands. And he spoke this blessing on them. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of the land I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Okay, so that's the end of chapter 48. Now check this out. He says, God brought us here, but he's going to take you back. He's going to take you back. Well, in point of fact, it was 400 years so it basically just became a prophecy they did not know what was going to happen but one thing that he did repeat to them remember God told me that this land will be our land so this promise was deep in their psyche and in their culture and they spoke these blessings from father to son and father to son and to the next son and to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation for 400 years it was put into their hearts that while we are here and now we are suffering as we will see later. That the promise has not changed. He is sending us back to that land. And it became known as the promised land. And we're going to take a look at that as we get to the end of this. And then go into Exodus. And we will see the experience of Moses and how God used Moses to set the people free. And how he took them to The promised land. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Anyway, we are done. Praise God. All right. Our uh, ushers can come forward and get ready uh, to take our evening offering and our musicians can come back. Um, We take our offering, uh, allow you an opportunity to give. Uh, A lot of you uh, can't make it to Sunday services or some actually prefer this instead of Sunday services. So this is your opportunity to honor God with the blessings that he has given you. Uh, And uh, by the way, uh, don't miss Sunday, man. I'm going to be talking to you about the economy. Are you going to put your trust in this economy, or are you going to trust in God's economy? It kind of has our attention now, doesn't it? When our economy is doing real good, it's kind of easy to ignore God's economy. Now that that thing's going to the toilet, everybody's interested in God's economy. Why does God let stuff like that happen sometimes? Just to jerk the slack out of us. That's exactly why. So we quit trusting in man's economy, put our hope in God's economy. I'm going to be teaching you about what that means to be tied into God's economy. The good news is when you're tied into God's economy, you don't really care what the rest of it's going on in us. It's going to be very encouraging. But anyway, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we can be tied into your economy. Your blessings are not dependent on anybody or anything. That you, oh God, can change the nations. You can control and change all circumstances and all favor towards your people. And out of respect to you, God, we give back a portion of that which you have blessed us with. Lord, as faithful servants to your kingdom, use this money to advance your purposes in the earth. And God, bless us as we put our hope and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen.